Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, identity, culture, what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for mm. Thought, a quadruple scoop of poop shoot fruit loops. No. <laughs> no. What is a poop shoot wow. fruit loop? It wow. doesn't. It's poetry, wow. Joe. <laughs> you have ruined my favorite childhood series. Uh, oh, it's, it's, um, yeah. Listen, I don't like children, so I'm happy to delete all your childhood faiths. <laughs> oh, God. You are uh, in the business of ruining people's childhoods, <laughs> I feel. Um, I'm Tommy Teebs Pico, an indigenous American poet, screenwriter, uh, single and actively mingling. Uh. And if I don't cyberbully Joe... I don't know what to do with my dice. <laughs> that is so true. I am Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and New York City's Chlamydia Mary. Oh my God. <laughs> we are not shaming those who contract the STIs. It happens for human beings. We are shaming Joe. We are shaming Joe. This is IRL bullying. Um, I am Dennis Norris II, and I'm a reader and a writer, a former figure skater, and my future restaurant is going to be called Jalapeno Pop. That Pussy. Oh, One star on Yelp. <laughs> Five stars on Yelp. Five jalapeno poppers oh, on no. Yelp. Jalapeno is my least favorite type of popper. Mm, true. Oh, me too. I don't yeah, like cream actually, cheese. Is the thing. Yeah. I don't like cream cheese. Oh my god, yeah, it's, it's so not, good. It's not it's optimal. So good. No. Well, you don't have to share. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm Fran. I'm a writer. I'm an editor, and uh, it's October, yes! y'all. Uh, I put a spell on you, and uh, now you have to. Um, I don't know. Vote Get for a Elizabeth Warren. is just get tested. <laughs> Joe, why don't you tell us what we've got on the menu this episode? Yeah, I'm so excited today, y'all. We kill Colin Jost. Oh we God. finger, <laughs> I know, finally. We finger dead animals. We bring Whitney back from the dead. And we end by introducing you to all of our children. Take it away. <laughs> buck, 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 peacock. I'm feeling a little bit peckish. I think it's time we start the top of this show the way any good top should with a little tease our mm. uproarious appetizer segment amuse boosh and to amuse our booshes uh fran why didn't you do it i <laughs> why did you do it <laughs> i am so excited to bring back our classic game of classic. bone block or bench uh-huh, um, uh-huh, uh-huh. excuse me that is um, my breakfast coming up <laughs> <laughs> um, if you've never played bone block bone block bench before um it is Fred is having a stroke <laughs> i just need alex to get here with my coffee and i will be fine um i uh <clears throat> It's essentially uh, uh, Mary Fuck Kill, but mm-hmm. uh, boning, having sex. Okay, bo- that's sa- okay. Boning, okay, boning. got it. Got it. Boning, yes, yes, yes. blocking. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like, you know what Killing. I do with Joe, um, <laughs> and, and benching, which is you know you're gonna 
put them off for later. Put them on pause. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean? yeah. What you do pause. with Dennis? The okay. men always start that back up. Exactly. Yeah. So, very true. Um, of of these groups of three things, we will decipher. Bone awesome. Block. Bone block or bench. This one's gonna be really difficult for Tommy. The Rock. Ooh. Jason Momoa. Yes. Or Vin Diesel. Our, two, our three shredded Ooh. queens. Just, <laughs> I'm just thinking about the myriad ways which I want them to literally kill me, <laughs> squash you to death, to death, mm-hmm. literally choke you <laughs> till you body. Yeah. Like I want them to jump on me like a trampoline until I'm nothing but ground beef. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> ground beef. Wow, the erotic. only thing I want in all of that is just the being dead part. I don't find any of these men attractive. Uh, I also. I'm also too big. I'm, I'm benching, benching, benching because uh, you know what? one night late, you know I'm just gonna be like someone destroyed, destroyed. <laughs> and I think it, I for me, I think it's gonna be the Rock. I think I'm, oh. I will, I would bone the Rock. I'm I'm definitely boning the Rock. I'm benching Jason Momoa because I want him for later and all the time. And I'm gonna <laughs> have to block Vin Diesel because he's the shortest one. Yeah, that oh, is. My God. Oh wow! Well, sure. You was the, you were the one, Tommy, that showed us the Vin Diesel experimental film from his like filmmaking oh, days, yes. which everyone yes. needs to put in, that in the, the show. show. And if, it's, so and if, it, if it's mid '90s Vin Diesel. Mm. I okay so I'm going to bench Vin Diesel because I want him always and forever I'm gonna bone the rock and I'm gonna block Jason Momoa <gasps> no. wow. I listen I saw him in Aquaman and that's like cute and all but I can't swim so it's not gonna work <laughs> all right bone block bench uh this Charlie's Angels edition Ooh. Lana Del Rey Miley Cyrus and Ariana Grande. Who are well, all blocking in Miley wow. Cyrus. No, oh, I am wow. definitely boning Miley Cyrus. So she would be crazy in bed, and she's also big by energy. For exactly, sure. yes. crazy yeah, in yeah, bed, yeah, yeah. no inhibitions, big by energy. I'm blocking I'm... Ariana Grande because she annoys the fuck out of me. Wow, that's wow, what, uh, Joe. Why yeah. are you? Why are you proud of that? I, you're like she's literally queer. like the most like followed pop star in the world right now. Right, but that doesn't mean she's not terrible. No, she's literally oh my god. Popularity wow. does not equal this goodness. This is when right. I get back into the ring with you. Let's do it. Ding, ding, ding. Alex, insert wrestling bell sounds here. Thank I'm, you. I'm Bone excited. block bench uh Ryan edition, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds, or Ryan Philip. Philippe? Felipe? Felipe. Felipe. Philippi. 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 Yes. Is he the one whose butt, butt was like a sexual awakening for yes, like yes, every yes, gay yes. who watched Cruel Intentions? Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. That was my uh, awakening to being a bottom. So I will definitely bone out. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did do not care. It did nothing. Uh, yeah, no, I'm boning Ryan Philippi. And I honestly would have to Google to figure out who these people are. Does Ryan Philippi look like. I don't know who those people are. Yes, you do. I mean, I do, but I can't figure out who's who in my brain. Okay, fair. So, okay. Ryan I'm... Reynolds is for sure blocked. I think that he has a weird mushy face. <laughs> I got a mush face. I he does have a weird mushy face, but you know I, I like I like the the funny looking faces, right? Oh yeah, you do. So mm. okay, I'm going to go ahead and block Ryan Gosling. <gasps> I'm going to bone Ryan Reynolds. Oh. And I'm going to bench. Wait, who was the other Ryan? Ryan Philippi. I'm going to bench Ryan Philippi. I'm going to bone Ryan Philippi. I'm going to block yeah. Ryan Reynolds, and I'm going to bench Ryan Gosling because we have a future together. Ooh, plus Ooh. one. On that. I like. We that made life eye contact at an ice cream store in mm-hmm. everything. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Were you binding? Legally yeah, binding. Sure. that cone? I was licking that Listen. motherfucking cone. Listen. All right. Uh, Chris edition. Chris Hemsworth. 
Chris Evans, Chris Pratt. I would bone thick Chris Pratt. I'm not right. a fan. But he's a homophobe. Of, no, he just goes to a homophobic church. But doesn't right? that make you a homophobe oh. if you stand for a homophobic church? He's still canceled, but, but he's also <laughs> hot. <laughs> uh, right. I, so I guess I guess that's the one I got to give the hand to. But like I'm Chris sure Evans, you're gonna give him the hand. Chris Evans mm. and me also have a future oh together. God. So he's getting bent. I just Chris, don't know who mm-hmm. any of these people are. Do and some Googles. He like tweets about. Hannah Arendt and shit. He's like, oh, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an interesting. Chris one. Evans has a perfectly triangular body. I know. Yeah. Just so stupid. I've Googled him and I still can't tell who this is. I'm benching because we're gonna be around together forever, and I'm fucking the shit out of Chris Hemsworth. I cannot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I'm blocking that. <clears throat> SNL edition. Uh, Michael Che, Colin Jost. Keenan Thompson. Oh, I it's so bad, but I think Michael Che is really cute. Can we just? He's so basic. Wow. Yeah, he's a little. I don't know if he's is exactly. I do stand too... him not being able to keep it together when yes. Bowen Yang was no, on. Was yes. Can we yes. just yeah. add Bowen Yang into this mix? <laughs> bone, 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 Bowen Yang, bone consistently the most fuckable oh. person on the planet. I'm. I, I would have to bench Bowen because he'll keep me laughing for the rest of my life. Like, I, he's so funny. Um. No. So in. In this grouping, I would definitely bench Keenan Thompson because he's so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I would bone Colin Jost. Of course you would, oh Because God, I know myself. Oh, Colin Jost is such an to... asshole. He's a dick. I, I, I love men who are dicks. It's, oh. it's terrible. We know I have terrible love taste. Love yourself, Dennis. Um, love yourself. Well, it's kind of an upgrade because it's a two-syllable name. Right? Yes. Colin. True. Thank you. Colin. 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 Cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dennis. There we go. Okay, well, I'll block all of them and bone Kate McKinnon. Can yes! we do that? Fair. Thank Fair. you. Um, bone block bench, Frank Ocean, oh. Lil Nas X, Tatrick Hall. <laughs> Block. I have to block, 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 Oh, Hall. just oh the worst. God, truly. Just, there was a great thread yeah. on Twitter that we can put in the show notes about also from a dancer who has danced for him, how he doesn't also pay his dancers. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I, read, I read all that tea. I read <laughs> the streets talk. Tea. Yeah, the streets the talk. The streets talk. And the Twitter yeah, streets yeah, talk yeah, louder yeah. than all. Yeah, That's yeah. fucked. Yeah, yeah, no, block. And that he'll often be like, oh, there are too many black people standing behind me. Let's get some lighter skinned people yeah. in the front of the frame. Yeah. So that yeah, he's the token team black person. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a mess. Um, well, I'm boning Lil Nas X. How old is he again? He's 20. I'm not boning oh, children. That is precisely he's the age 20. of people he's I date. So oh, um, that's so also the though. precise. I mean, ho, I'm just looking at you like. My boyfriend's like, almost 30. Are you not in line? That's, My boyfriend is not almost in 30. Listen. Lil, Lil Nas is talking about himself riding until he can't ride no more. I would like to ride him until I can't ride no more. So I we're feel boning like he's a Lil Nas. Big bottom energy though, don't you think? They you can know, have a double sided dildo. That's true. That I, I have true. gotten right. a lot of bottoms to top me, so Same. that's not that's that's not a problem for me. And I think he, I feel like he would top me. So him, I'm benching Frank Ocean, even though I don't give a fuck about his little party. Oh, and Todrick yeah. Hall is blocked. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm forever. gonna have to bone. Um, uh, I'm gonna have to. Well, I'm gonna have to bench Lil Nas X because I'm just gonna have to wait till he's older. Because this is not gonna work. <laughs> but out. you'll this be older fair, then too. Fair. Yeah, but he'll be older. Yeah, but <laughs> then yeah, <laughs> and I'll be having the face chemicals, so I will still look this age. Yeah. Bone block bench, Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> 
Dave Chappelle. Literal. Oh, God. Shane Gillis. This isn't fair. Block, block, block. <laughs> Problematic comedian. This is friend. cruel. This is cruel. You know what? I would, Can I? I'm sorry. I would bench Ellen. I, I'll wait for her to have another comeback. I think her stand-up is funny. I think that she's, you know, still kind of. I wonderful bo- i bone 90s ellen i mean she took a you know she took a big hit when she came yeah. out publicly yeah. but now she's basically like all she's lives matter rich. personifies yeah, yeah. So it's, no. it's really tough. my best friend george bush <laughs> can I, what? what are you talking about i, cannot, I just I, believe I, in being nice and, and to everyone the, and then the headlines after Don't that were understand. like ellen just created the perfect response to everyone yeah. who like and then the response was just like what he's my friend yeah, and exactly. it's like what yeah no, no. that's not a it's it was a mess it was explanation what 2019 has been rough for Ellen, but I'm going to continue the roughness and block her so I can get with Portia. That's <gasps> oh, what I would wow. like to do. Another reason. Dennis is just in love with white supremacy in this game of bone block. You know what? Have you met me? <laughs> oh like, God. I'm going to jump on the problematic. Another reason that I would bench Ellen is because I she is notoriously extremely mean. And oh. I mm-hmm. fuck with that. You love that. You I do love fuck with that. that. I love you do mean. Fuck with that. And yeah, I feel like bad. Could, yeah. So um, block Shane Gillis. Block, block Shafe, Dave, Dave Chappelle. fucking Chappelle. Fuck block them. Uh, yeah. 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 Wow. Oh, that yeah. was so good. Thank you. Mm. For our next segment, we're going to be doing our thought book club, tentatively called Face Down Book Up. That's not it's, what it's, it's called. called that, it Tommy. is not called well, that. I vote yes. <laughs> I do. And just to clarify, you know, this kind of new segment, this little like book book uh, club yes. segment that is we're like calling Face Down Book Up. <clears throat> we are which not, you're calling not calling it that. Um, is uh, to just uplift like queer books, queer voices, queer everything uh the queering of the crack in my voice that just yes, came out that was the gayest um, thing that's ever happened uh, and so go and buy and support this book or engage with it online but also um uh joe and teebs are leading the discussion they have read the book dennis and i have not sell us on it sell us on it today we're going to be talking about Kristen arnett's mostly dead things is it a ravioli it is technically a ravioli okay um <laughs> it is it came out this year it was on the new york times bestseller MVP. list yeah, um everywhere she I, I went on tour with her for a little bit this summer. She's hilarious. Um, it was during this tour that I discovered White Claw. So there's that. Oh God, we hate you, Thank Kristen. Thank you, Kristen. Boo. Thank you for that. Herstory. This, this book is so gay. It's the gayest it book. It is so, it's the gayest book I've read in a long time. And also, you know, all those people, those gay books be written by straight people. And this is, this like, is yeah. hardcore, full lesbianism now. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's like so great because it's so gay, but like does not take place in New York City or in San Francisco right. or in LA. Yeah. It is like some backwater, weird ass Floridian, thick, weird, thick. fucking strip mall nonsense. Yeah. And it's just so fucking gay. So it basically follows this main character, Jessalyn, who is a lesbian taxidermist who inherits her family's business after her father commits suicide. Uh-huh. Um, her mother is like staging this weird art. She's been like repressed her whole life by the father. And now that she's got free, she's basically undoing his legacy by um, creating this art uh, installation that's fully taking down all of this taxidermy shit, making the animals fuck each other and some other weird shit. Uh Uh, Jessa's uh, only love was this woman, Bryn, who she'd known since childhood, who ended up marrying Jessa's brother, Milo, while they Mm. continued to 
have an affair. Correct. So they were getting it in while Bryn was married to Jess's and brother. By the way, wow. this all this is no spoilers. This is all within the you know everything yeah. that happens here within the first twenty pages of the book. Such gay drama. Gay There's so much drama. Gay familial drama, drama so, is yeah. so good. There's also so like key. the cover is like got this hot pink flamingo with like a chartreuse background. And if you take the dust jacket off, it's literally a hot pink book. Wow. wow. So gay. So gay. Incredible. Um, I love this book. It was it was hard to um it was hard for me to imagine a character who's this afraid of intimacy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I it like never like let's hook up stay the night, for example, mm. continually reminds them that they ain't shit. Pushes like, people away. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, this was hard for I'm you. The, so tender hearted and open and embracing of intimacy. It was the hard more, for me yeah. to imagine a character <laughs> like this, to be honest with you. The more she likes him, the crueler she is. To yes. Them. Yeah. I don't even know yeah, what yeah, that yeah. means. I've never, I've never met anyone like that ever. But um taxidermy is like so gay because it's yeah. like trying to um uh, manufacture glory amidst death you know what I mean? Oh my, these, oh my god, I love like, that. Yeah. Well, and it's also like the, the Susan Sontag thing that Susan Sontag writes about photography, how photography kind of lies about the world because it takes a, a moment that exists and extends that for forever. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with taxidermy, right? Yeah. That it like it tries to create a forever thing out mm-hmm. of a rare moment of an animal looking a certain particular way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I loved about the book is how she talked about if you do something even slightly wrong, it looks like the fake thing. It looks like yeah. the thing is looks so mm. fucked up. So the, camp. the line between like the fuck up and the perfect thing is so delicate and narrow. Mm. And she's got this kind of um, like she is described as being a natural. So she's yeah. a natural at staging these things. Her brother couldn't really get into the family business, but for whatever reason, um, she, cause it's like these creatures die in very, in not particularly glorious ways, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And so she's like in charge of like molding them. I thought it was a lot about writing actually. It was almost mm-hmm. like an Ars Poetica because it's like we as writers try to capture a moment or a feeling or a narrative out of nothing. Yeah. Right. And so I think like her posing these um, animals similarly was like a comment about writing as well. Well, and it's an agency as well. Right. It's like she had the ability. She could care for these things that were dead with such delicacy and mm. such precision with her hands. And in, in the very way that like she couldn't do that with other living people because they were people and living and they mm-hmm. had agency and they could run away from her. You know, yeah. the dead things is something that she could control. And st- I love the um, sort of distinction. She lives in this horrible squalor in her apartment. But the taxidermy shop she runs is like bleached and spick and span and pristine so it's like this is a person who like feels completely out of control the whole book is out of control in their her dealings with her mother her uh, brother her lovers and everyone but at the same time has these intense and delicate moments with dead animals and is giving them so much love and care that you that those kind of she's coming apart at the seams herself right? right and you really see that in the book well she's she's given to care for things that ask nothing of her exactly mm-hmm. you know whereas like romantic partners family any kind of relationship it requires um understanding and empathy and it also requires um uh, effort on the part of the person yeah. to um maintain the relationship whereas like if you're having a relationship to an inanimate thing it doesn't require you to do anything but, but work on it but then the crazy thing is she feels her life is so driven by obligation right she feels like she can't leave this town because the obligation that she owes to her family if she leaves the taxidermy shop shuts down mm-hmm. her father's legacy is gone in his suicide note he tells her you have to save the family it's all on you so it's right it's like this person who can't care for people and how she shows up with them can't even really act kindly towards her beloveds but is doing everything at the same time and like how fucking gay is that That's right really like gay. when you like feel all of this obligation 
obligation to people, but are really kind of mean to them at the same time. Like, uh, it was reading my relationship with my mother a little bit in ways that Ooh. I found very uncomfortable. Too close yeah. to home. Yeah. A little too close to home. I'm curious about, because, you know, a big, uh, you know, goal of this, like, segment is to, like, uplift, like, queer books and help queer books find their audiences. So when you think about, like, this book, who is this book? for like how would you sell it to like our so-and-so readers like yeah. if you liked x you will like mostly dead things or is there certain are there certain God. themes or certain elements about like about the book where you're like damn like this yes. is gonna resonate i think it's a part you're talking of it, about it a little bit already yeah, yeah i think a part of it has to do with a character who is not willing to really live or try who learns kind of how to do that mm. like coming yep. from a very emotionally stunted place to then show like how sometimes the only way you change is um when the stakes get ratcheted up a little bit mm -hmm. you know and like this is asking uh, this is like a book that's showing a character who at once is not willing to change and then kind of slowly um becomes more willing to do so mm -hmm. and so i think um as a as a redemption of a kind of queer, um, um, like closed emotional space. Cause uh -huh. we all come from like, it's some form of uh -huh. traumatized background uh -huh. around people we love. <laughs> yeah. Like, emotional yes. stuntedness as Always. a consequence of yes. queer trauma. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, I think a book that's challenging its character to undo that. Mm -hmm. It is for sure. And, and whether or not she, you know, and she, whether or not she gets there, I think I want to save that for the readers. Uh, but like, my God, uh, the book is actually a little bit like an episode of Food for Thought in that mm. it is Cute. raunchy. Yeah. Is it really? Yes. Ooh. And there's a lot of like crazy lesbian sex. There Ooh. is a lot of very drunk sex. So kind are of like. Are the sex scenes good? Like uh, what are they? They're like, are they like, are they, what's the style? Are they like, like descriptive? Are they poetic? It is a, it is a they... scratch and sniff, girl. Oh you my you God. smell. I, I love that I closed the book and I was like, my fingers smell like pussy right now. I, it, it is, is just like. Scratch and wow. snap. That is so funny. There's the one where, uh, what's the gallery owner, Lucinda? Yeah, yeah, yeah Lucinda, so it's, yeah. she like um, kind of like uh, fingers her outside of a bar against yeah. her truck in the Ooh, dark. Yeah. It makes her come. Hello. Yeah, it's I, so like, it's just so raunchy. Uh, and you know, the sex is both hot and also in a way, the sex is both a way to build intimacy and a, a build a bridge or a moat around intimacy. It has those different roles that sex plays in queer relationships. Her sex with Bryn is so intimate intimate but precisely because she and Bryn cannot love one another mm -hmm. and her sex with Lucinda is so like objectifying mm -hmm. and that's pre precisely because she could have a relationship with Lucinda and therefore is using sex to kind of push her away mm -hmm. um, in terms of what other book I mean the book is so unlike almost anything I've ever read the as only, a good book is as a good book is it really feels new and fresh the mm -hmm. only thing I can think of is another book that I love uh, a Florida a weird fucking sex driven Florida book called um, Tampa by Alyssa Nutting I think I've seen um, the cover for that which huge trigger warning is a really fucking weird book. It's about pedophilia. Uh, it has a narrator who you fucking despise, mm -hmm. but you are sort of implicated in her bad behavior by reading the book. Mm -hmm. um, and you get you have this weird feeling about I'm being turned on by this horrible behavior, which is like that does this weird brain fuck thing to you. And this book, similarly, you feel like, am I an alcoholic reading this book? Like mm -hmm. this, this is an alcoholic fuck face of a narrator. And you're like, am I an alcoholic fuck face in my <laughs> That's life? That's how I feel like, when I read yeah. Michelle T. And I know. the yes. author's name, just to clarify, is Alyssa Nutting. Nutting. 
nutting. Yes, yeah. Alyssa just nutting. Just wanted to just check and, that. And, and, nutting. 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 Alyssa nutting. I also think that as a book about a person who didn't, like, quote, a queer person who didn't, quote, unquote, escape to the exactly. big city, yeah. who, like, stayed in their hometown and is continuing mm. on a family legacy mm. of sorts. And yeah, also that. just, like, there, it's so thick with Florida it as a character mm. in, yeah. in the ways in which, like, some, thick you know, Florida. there's, like, you, L.A. becomes a character in, Mich- in Black Wave by Michelle yep, T. Or totally. San Francisco sometimes. Yep. Or, like, in other people's, like, New York is a real character. And this one is just so... Um, it's so oppressively Florida. It's humid. The book is also, yeah. it, the book is humid. It's dense with, the air of the book is dense and you yeah. feel it that way. Like Joan Didion in California, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it is yeah. a, a book it's, of a place. It's and It's a love letter, but not love. It's, you know, yeah. it's like a letter to the but city like the, in a way. And, you know, the, the book is of Florida the same way the narrator is of the family, which is like a deep mm-hmm. and unabiding love mm-hmm. and also a deep and unabiding hatred. Right. Uh, and, I love those disdain. books where like the city is like a third character yeah, in the yeah, mix yeah, of yeah. everything. For sure, for sure. And, for and sure. it is like I think uh, in the popular imagination, we tend to think of Florida as being this like really weird atypical thing, which it is to a certain extent. Yeah. But the, the also microcosm. But the um, but the author doesn't treat it as if it's some kind of other thing. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not like it's not like the author is like listening to it like a like a like a like a police scanner and just picking yeah. out the most like. Well, Kristen is up there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know. Um, Should we read a, a little excerpt? I wanted to read this excerpt because it is uh, it gives you an idea of the headspace of the character. So what had happened right before this is um, Bryn and Milo and uh, and Jessa have gone out to do a thing and like Milo says that he loves Bryn and like this having an effect on her. So so Jessa, the main character, is watching the woman that she loves and her brother commingle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't know what love is, I thought, wanting to smack him. Love was the steady burn of acid indigestion. Love was a punch in the gut that ruptured your spleen. Love was a broken telephone that refused to dial out. Mm. Milo told Bryn he loved her. And I could see from the look on his face, he thought the words were a magical incantation. Say the word love, and it's there for you. Say the word love, and the other person feels it too. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that was beautiful. Well, that. thank you, T. Thank you. Yeah. It's my one skill. And <laughs> what's the book again so someone can go and buy it right now off of their phones? It's called Mostly Dead Things, the debut novel by acclaimed lesbian writer Kristen Arnett. And follow her on Twitter too. She's fucking Oh, she's really going to follow her yeah. right now. Yeah. Mm, it's time we get to the meat of our discussion, the thought process spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. And to sling your meat this week, I'm oh. going to talk to you a little bit about death. So last week I was getting together with my friend Tazba. She's a native person from California. We're going over my scripts. And, you know, a fair amount of death happens in the script or, or there's um, intonations of death because the main character goes back home to the reservation and uh, kind of is prepared for all these people in his childhood to have died because that's just how the res is that's my experience of the reservation listen i my first memory was of a funeral and it wasn't and then the, wow. I, the, the thing is I think why I clocked it was there was such a tonal change because there's these people who'd be you know weeping their faces off and then laughing their faces off so I saw the kind of gallows humor that happens um in places where death is 
frequent and regular. Mm. Um, I'm always getting texts from my mom. I was like, this person's funeral is happening this weekend. This person's anniversary mass is happening this weekend. And it's so regular. And I was, it was just nice to talk to Tazba about it because, she, again, she's also a Native person, also from a reservation in California. And she was just like, I don't think non-Native people understand what it's like, what our relationship to death is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point where I don't... I Because I grew up with people dying frequently... It's almost like I don't develop the same kinds of attachments or mm-hmm, the like the I don't know there's something about it that um has remained not so precious or taboo the mm-hmm. concept of death yeah, like yeah, I don't yeah. fear it I think the same way that other people do mm-hmm. and again that's just because so many people I've known have died now this is going to be a, a raucous conversation about death the first love thing, that ooh. so fun <laughs> yes I love see. death uh, the, but the first thing I wanted to ask you is where were you when you heard that Whitney Houston died? Oh, oh my woo! God. <laughs> woo! Too soon? Uh, it will always and forever be too soon. Uh, I, uh, yeah. as y'all know, grew up in a... Wait, this is 2012? Yeah. yeah. yeah I grew up in a cultural vacuum and did not have access to pop culture yet. So I had no idea when or where. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't have secular music until oh. about 2013. Really? Wow! Until wow. my my high school years. Wow! Is that, is that why you did it? Is that, so you were like in mean, elementary school in 2012. I think, is that what we're yes. saying? I think, is, is that, that why right? you? No, 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 no. That was a joke. And I love that <laughs> we're all taking it. What were you about to say? say? Yeah. Well, um, is that why you didn't know who Sade was? Ha <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. You're the so facts funny. speak for themselves. You're so, so fucking funny. That I is. was on a date. Ooh. With with a white man with a one syllable first name. No, oh. shocking everyone. No, um, on, we were at a wine bar on the Upper East Side, and no. <laughs> yeah, our, accurate. Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> I'm this is like you the apotheosis of death. I'm never getting hard again. <laughs> it's, it's, it's I am an so, eight. I am it's like... so wildly unbranded, it's insane. Um, and so our our waitress um comes up to us and she and she's she's like crying. I was like, what? I was like, what? What's wrong? Did, did we do something? And she's like, no. Whitney Houston died. And I was just like, I feel you. And so what started as like kind of a decent feeling date actually Mm. like descended into just like drunken madness. Like I went to another bar with him. I ended up going home with him. Um, And then the next morning... I was I was in school at Sarah Lawrence at the time, so he he drove me to the Harlem 125th Street Metro North stop so that I could go back up to school, mm. and I like get out of his car, I cross underneath um the the train, and there's a church right there, and their doors are opening and they're playing Whitney Houston music like mm. in her honor, oh, wow. mm-hmm. and then I started throwing up in the trash can because oh! I was so. Hungover. I was so hungover. Oh, so it was, I thought you were going to say, like, I was so with grief. They were going to be like, I was so emotionally overwhelmed. Yeah. It's like, no, it, it was, was such hungover. a mess. It was such a mess. But yeah, it was, that's where I was. That's where what I was. What a way to pay homage to Whitney. I so. Being hungover, so. throwing up I mean, in a garbage can. I, I had a moment with the gays as well when I found out that Whitney Houston died. I was tr- 
trying on pants that were way too small at the top shop and I heard people screaming and I was like, God damn, like, you can't see what I look like. Why are you screaming? Oh my God. And it turned out they were all like screaming about Whitney Houston having died. But when they said Whitney died, I was just like, oh my God, please let it be some like, I don't know, one name actress from like the OC or something like that. (laughs) There's only one person who can have Whitney as the only only moniker. And I didn't want to believe it. And then I immediately went home and I just remember I watched the... um, her debut television performance um, on a late night show oh, when she sang yes. Home from mm-hmm. The Wiz. Yeah. And it was so epic and it starts off and it's like eight, like the thing is people wouldn't give this, they wouldn't allow a performance to build this way anymore because everything is about like now, 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 now. What can you do in two minutes? What right. can you do in 30 seconds? Mm-hmm. What can you do in 15 minutes or whatever? And so like her, it was like, it was a really long performance of this song that started off very quiet and like tentative and you could tell like she's a little nervous mm-hmm. and and it kind of builds in intensity and then like mm-hmm. the strings start playing and like you can see her mother in the background behind the curtain like getting the um the band in time yeah mm-hmm. and then she just ends with like this humongous glory note that is yeah. like the portent of like yep. who the singer that she's going to be and i just yeah. sobbed i just sobbed for yeah. like eight full for the entirety of that performance and then probably for like eight years <laughs> i really love this question tommy because like even though like you know de- celebrity deaths is such like a trite way to think about like death in general it is is more often than not a lot of people's first cognizance of like death and mortality itself yeah. like i remember like when selena died like just being like oh death is a thing like that was my mm-hmm. first right. understanding of like mm-hmm. my mortality like oh, i was wow. i don't know how old i was so i was like nine or something do you know why they okay so after selena died they did a special uh issue of people magazine and oh. it was so pop it was the most popular magazine that they'd ever sold that's why they started people in espanol oh wow yes. oh. i didn't know that i mean i'm super fascinated by this public grief mm-hmm. public mourning that right. happens in celebrities mm-hmm. i think one of the things that is impoverished about american culture one of the many things is the way in which like we've sort of um taken on waspiness around the way we deal with death where mm-hmm. like Basically, you're not allowed to grieve publicly in our culture. It's, there's mm. a lot of stigma around depth of feeling, good feeling and bad feeling. And, you know, you're supposed to have like a sort of open casket thing. And then three days later, you mm. go back to work and everything is fine. Mm. And I think that one of the one of the sort of like um, uh, escape valves for mm. the pressure that we hold in then is is the public, public morning, morning we do yeah, yeah, yeah. when, when mm. a celebrity dies, where we do get to be excessive publicly. Mm. We, publicly with our grief and we get to have it shared even amongst strangers right mm-hmm. like when someone who's really important to a bunch of people dies it's something that we can like understand one another's mm-hmm. grieving yeah. whereas like your mom and my mom we kind of understand that like your mom dying is sad mm-hmm. but like it, gr- grieving that together is really hard I totally agree with that Joe I think that we don't allow like enough like professional time and space for when yeah, you need to grieve and how much time that takes but I would also say counterpointedly like now, I do believe that there is a pressure to publicly grieve mm. on social on media. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's it, my sexuality, Fran. Stop I, coming for I, me. I know, but like, I stub my toe I, and like, I'm grieving like, on social media. Think about, and I, I, you know, I haven't really had someone extremely close to me um, pass away yet. And uh, outside of like some family, you know, some extended family members, and I don't know what this feels like, but if you have had someone in your life die, Think about that weird impulse, that voice in your head that says you need to make an Instagram post about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. you see those everywhere. And it's kind of like when I read Instagram posts and their grief, I feel 
catharsis with that person. But I sometimes I worry and feel protective of their own psyche because I'm like, did you need like, like what about you makes you feel like you need to share this with your 1000 Facebook friends who you don't actually talk to anymore. It's you know what I mean? Like, how does it, I hope it, I just always hoping that it helps them as much as it. I overshare off of it. I overshare with everything except for things that are important. Like I don't, (laughs) when, when I've lost, I've lost a couple close friends Mm. and those are things that I didn't really share Mm. on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I might've written, uh, I'm still actually, I'm still in the process of writing about a couple of these things, but there's certainly things that I sit with uh, a lot longer and sort of sit with internally with, with other friends, like mutual friends. When you have loss of a a, a beloved, Mm -hmm. a friend or whatever, I find the mutual friend, the people, family that you are close Mm -hmm. to with that person, it's the most healing space to be in. I'm the same way, Joe. I don't talk about important things on social either yeah it's just it's, like, i talk about hey, literally everything but yeah. like actual <laughs> yeah. which, tell, which like, tells you all how emotional joe gets yeah. about not important things yeah um, personal life <laughs> i mean come on i i don't know like i so we talk this on the podcast all the time my dad died in 2010 and that was and it was like a totally surprising thing and i was in graduate school and i remember i was not on twitter and i was not on instagram i'm not did, i'm not even sure instagram existed then but it maybe it did i don't know um but i didn't get those things for a couple of years but i was on facebook and i remember that that was i had certainly had a lot of people in my life die before like i've been around a lot of death my father was a minister mm, i've been to more funerals right. than i have weddings like yep. Yep, yep, yep. that and because my parents had me when they were older like their like people in their social circle were dying at younger ages. So I've just been around a lot of it, but that was the first death um, of somebody that was really, really like obviously a huge formative part of my life. And there's a way in which like everything about my life and my existence and my worldview was, was like forever altered. Mm -hmm. And so I remember that for the sake of that, and the weight of it, like, I'm not a person who would normally do this, and I wasn't at that time, but I did make, like, a Facebook post because I was like, I want everybody who's at all connected to me and in any way knows what my life is right now to know that this is a thing that has happened and that this is, like, what I'm dealing with. And it was really interesting because there are people um, that I hadn't been in touch with at that time in a few years um, who I wasn't ever going to be like really regularly in touch with who did reach out because it's such a, like it rocks you to your core in this way that like even people who haven't experienced it can sort of begin to conceptualize it. And then when you do experience it, you're like in this little club of people who've like been through Mm. this like very specific and intense thing. And also because the, Mm -hmm. the, the, the the death is being so um, affecting and unprecedented and and just so final. The ways that people grieve art can be idiosyncratic. Oh my God. Totally idiosyncratic. Grief is by definition, like almost by nature, idiosyncratic. It doesn't make sense. It is excessive. And there's no resolution for it. I think, I I mean, we could do like a whole other podcast. That's just about grief. Right. But if I think about like death and I think about like death, if we're thinking about, we we all immediately think of death of loved ones, death Mm -hmm. of people adjacent. I think a lot about death of self and just like the way death permeates our everyday lives, especially right now when we have Mm -hmm. the climate crisis and we have crazy people in government positions that can like harm us, you know. Are you all afraid of death? I don't know if I am anymore because it's so much closer than, (laughs) you know, what you think. Yeah, Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm afraid afraid of it in like in the sense that um i it's like unknown to me because mm-hmm. it is so known to me i remember one time being a kid and looking at my 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 family had a lot of photos on the walls and there was a picture of my brother with like a lot of his friends and i didn't re- 
uh, recognize a lot of them. And I was yeah. like, where did all these people go? And they were like, oh, that person passed away this way. That person passed away this way. They were all my brother's friends, like all his age. And I remember mm. then being with my cousins and looking around and wondering which one of us were going to make it into adulthood. Mm. That is wow. such a That's, morbid thing for a five-year-old yeah. to think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wouldn't, I mean, I, yes. I mean, everything I do is in uh, in response to the fear of death, right? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and especially sure, like, sure. I feel like the, the threshold of like my age now is like before this before my age like in my 20s and shit like that i was so worried about finding myself mm -hmm. uh, and now i'm just like literally feeling my body start to fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like bitch here you are and now yeah. you're going to like I slowly I hurt yeah now it can get rough when you hit 30. <laughs> for me specifically i think it's not so much that i'm afraid of death itself but that i'm afraid of uh, my life ending and I am unremarkable, you know, uh, yeah. which is still yeah. a fear of death, but like to just get more specific right. on yeah. it. Like I, that's my number one fear is that I will die and my legacy will not be here. I mean, why do you think all them pharaohs had them pyramids and shit and all yeah. those all right. that shit made like, because right. they were like, they wanted something to live on after them. Right. right. When people talk about legacy, like that's so much of what that's about. Like I, I I'm sort of similar. Like I'm not really scared of being dead, but I am scared, one, that I will die before I've accomplished my goals. Like, the goals that I've set then up Then turn now. your draft in <laughs> to your fucking agent, Dennis. I Jesus. know. I know. He's, <laughs> he's, he also listens to the show, and he's fully, he's probably gonna be like, yes, bitch. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's like, um, but I was gonna say, like, I, yeah, so it's, so that's, like, very scary to me. Also, like, how I might die is very scary, just the, the mechanics one. of it. Like, oh, that's that's scary. scary. I just don't want to be, like, like I, when I think about, yeah. like, the if it's something Boys, like white supremacists mm -hmm. and the salt shakers and shit like that. I was like, I just don't want to be tortured. That's all. That's yeah. all. I just don't want to be tortured. And if somebody out there murders me, just like do it quickly. Like I'm, do it quickly. Don't like <laughs> don't draw out. I don't, I'm, I'm unless you're the rock, then you can take your time yeah. and murder or, or Vin Diesel. <laughs> With Vin the whole Diesel. book conversation of turning yeah. in the draft of your novel, I, it makes me think about that that mantra. You know, like if uh, given that we are going to die. How do you want to live? Yeah. And mm. for me, I think a lot about, you know, the death card in the tarot and how, mm -hmm. you know, when you draw the death card uh, for any reading, everyone's like, oh, I'm going to die or no. like someone around them is like, going to yes, die. You or, will. Like, You're in the process of dying, actually. It is death process. It's very that yeah. it's very rarely when you pull the death card. Does it mean does it really have anything to do with actual death? Right. It has to yeah. do with with the way your life is operating under fear of death mm. in some way yeah. or operating under fear of the unknown because uh -huh. that is why we fear death. It's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to accomplish this, this, and this. Yet under the mantra of like, if given that we are going to die, how are we going to live? Mm. The reason mm -hmm. we choose not to do things that enliven us, that like enrich our lives is because we're afraid. Oh, God. Right? Yeah. I mean, and then the thing Fully is, and then true. you get the thing or you get and, and like for some reason, the more success I get or the more things I have or the more tools in my arsenal and the, the more projects that I can take on, I get more scared. Right. Yeah, the like, stakes are yeah. going high. Because right. when yeah. something yeah. good happens, I've been checking the, the, yeah. the, the free I, I check the road like five times before I cross it. You know what I mean? I'm like, just make sure no one's coming because right. this is when I'm going right. to get hit by a car. Right. 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 And right. It's just, so I mean, true. we're quoting Jabuki Young White every time the earth <laughs> is melting, send the risky text yeah, message. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really I mean, it, though. It's so fun. I feel like I'm definitely, I used to be really afraid of death. And that actually, the ironic thing is that I was afraid of death when I was religious. Mm -hmm. And then once I stopped uh, being religious, I actually got way yeah. less afraid of dying. I um, also, grief made me not afraid to die anymore. Mm -hmm. Like there have been times in my life when I wish I really wanted to 
be dead mm-hmm. uh, because I was in such like emotional pain. Uh, and so like, I think that that for me, I know that that's yeah. going to be worse than not, not existing at all. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm afraid of other people dying. I'm not afraid of dying myself. Ooh, yeah. I'm afraid of pain, much particularly emotional pain, much more than I'm afraid of just not existing yeah. any longer. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, going through horrible things in your life teaches you a lot. Um, yeah. for better and for worse. But at the same time, like as artists, and I know you agree with me, Joe. Uh-oh. <laughs> as artists, we kind of love pain because it reminds us that we're alive. We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> You know what I mean? yeah. That's real, and it we, reminds that, us that real. we have things to write about, yeah. which is so fucked. That's but like yeah. every ballad ever made. Uh, I want to go back just really quick to the first part of what Joe was just saying, though, because also for me, like some one of the earliest influences to my relationship or death or my thinking of death was sort of understanding at a young age that so much of the re- religious. Um, so many of the religious teachings that I was being taught and like weird to believe I felt were based in fear of death because it was like, Oh, you want to go to heaven when you die. That's where you want to go. You don't want to go to hell. And that means you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and savior now. And so that, that like permeated my thinking in a way that I didn't begin to understand until later, but I sort of connected, um, like I sort of connected homophobia to the idea that, that maybe queerness equal death because I was also taught in church like earlier on that the whole reason why being queer is bad was the same reason why masturbation was bad was because you were like wasting the seed of God and so it went against Mm. procreation which the theory was that that was like the whole purpose of life and so I say all that to say that like around the same time as I began to move away from religion was around the same time that I began to like embrace my queerness and it was really interesting because I sort of was like I was taught to think of this as death, but it's actually life. Like it's actually mm. existence mm. and it's, it's, it's flipping that upside down. Well, and I mean, you know, I also, we grew up in similar times. I was a little earlier than you, mm-hmm. uh, when I was growing up to be gay was to die because of HIV. I right. mean, not just theologically, but like literally, but like and practically, literally um, queerness was like a, there, there was a, a death aura yeah. around gay men in particular. Um, and I think a lot about, you know, we were talking about like cultural mo- moments of cultural mourning, shared mourning, mourning around celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think a lot, I mean, I still am very much haunted by the HIV years uh, that I grew up in. Mm. Um, and these times of like incredible, incredibly intense um, collective death that was happening. It's like people lost most of their friends. Mm-hmm. You know, this happens yeah. also in large scale wars where like a lot of people are dying. And I just don't know. It's like when you think about what that is like to survive, mm-hmm. uh, it has such an, that type of grief and constant grief for many mm-hmm. years, uh, collective cultural grief. I, I, I'm not over it yet. And it didn't even, I didn't lose anybody necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. um I'll tell I, you what I'm not over yet. Yeah. Amy Winehouse. Oh, oh my god. god. I was I was in I was in Paris at the time. Uh, I was living in the 11th and I had walked to the, the um, during the summertime they have this thing called Paris Plage where they get all this like sand and they put it along the river so that you could feel like you're at the beach. And I remember it was like an overcast day and that summer was kind of um trash anyway and ever i was just trying to have like a moment of like frivolity and everything about the environment was telling me to go back inside this started yeah. raining and i was like fuck it's like 50 degrees in the summertime what's going on and i went back to the apartment that i shared with my best friend lauren wilkinson and um i got on my i got on g chat and my friend max was just like 
all heartbreak, all crying emojis or whatever we had at the time. Uh, and then it was like a link to a TMZ thing. And I clicked on it and I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Because yeah. like, that was my number mm-hmm. one. That was like, Amy was my yeah. was my girl. And also like when uh, Back to Black came out, I feel like I was going through Ooh. a horrible breakup and so was everybody that I knew. And it became like mm-hmm. a touchstone for all of us. Yeah. And, yeah. I rem- and I was just, I was so shocked and I never, but I remember, um, I think Justin Bond put something on Facebook or um, uh, Twitter or something like that that because she got wheeled out of her home under like this deep red sheet yeah and he said something like even in death you get the velvet rope treatment oh Mm. real I have an Amy Winehouse anecdote for you after this podcast that I want to think about. <laughs> I, Joe, something that you said, I, I thought I'm thinking about a lot in terms of the HIV crisis and the kind of culture of death that permeated that exact moment, and and how you know when we are confronted with the omniscience of death, and especially in moments where it is just over every single marginalized group or over yeah. like um, it, it, when it's really intense um, that we have like one of two ways to kind of deal with it. We can live in dread or mm-hmm. we can celebrate up until the point that we die, well, you know, and and, yeah. and, and, and so much of, and, and you should like shed some light on this, but like so much of, of what happened during the HIV crisis yeah. was, a kind of mix, mixing of those two things, but it also meant that they were flocking to Fire Island and yep. they were like partying at Studio. They were partying at Studio Fifty Four. They were doing so many different things to kind of like ride their lives out. Um, yeah, I hear Fire regardless. Island was pretty morose in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, I mean, people definitely. The nightlife was incredible in that time, but I think there's also there's a huge connection to activism, right? You mm. can watch those ACT UP movies, both United and Anger, and How to Survive a Plague. Um, United and Anger is particularly great because um, it allows the men who are HIV positive and in, in ACT UP to be sexy. ACT UP was a, a cruising space. Uh, BPM, um, you know. Oh my God, BPM is so great. It's the best movie. Um, um, you know, so it, it definitely there was all of this stuff going on. But what I loved about that is that even people as they were di- exactly. dying were fighting together mm-hmm. for their own lives and mm-hmm. the lives of the people coming after them. Mm-hmm. The, the, the queer people of my age, actually, who, who were coming in and who our lives are kind of saved by the activism that these folks did. So it was sort of like, you know, when death is happening in a community like that. There's there's no bullshit excuses anymore. There's no like we're gonna do this tomorrow. We're gonna do this next week. It's like we are literally dying, yeah. and so we will fight like fucking hell mm-hmm. until until we do. Uh, and people did die, and people were activists until they died, and then people threw the ashes of the dead people onto the White House lawn, and so they were being activists even in their death, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I really I take a lot from that, and I think that there's a lot that that says about what we can do in our moment now, when we all do mm-hmm. feel the specter of, I mean, really horrible things happening in our country. People are literally dying, uh, both in and outside of our communities. And I, I'm I'm hoping that we allow ourselves joy and pleasure and nightlife and friendship and fucking and dating, and also that there starts to foment more and more actual activism and people mm-hmm. being like, the fucking climate is fucked. Fucking mm-hmm. people are in cages on our right. southern border. Like civility you is can't, over. Civility I'll, is fucking civility over. Fight over. and be joyful. Fight and, and be joyful, right? Yeah. And in the face of the end, in the face of the end of everything. I am thinking a lot. I'm thinking a lot about um, Dia de los Muertos and how like there are how like attitudes toward ancestors and how a cultural attitude toward death is just so kind of like a a moment of like laughing in the face of it Mm -hmm. when it comes to like, you know, Mexican culture, when it comes to like so many elements of that holiday um, and how like we can learn so much by just like kind of being like, haha, 
fuck you, we're living anyways. Right. You know and what I mean? Like, and living because of you. Yeah, yeah. You know? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the celebration of your life continues in mine. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, as totally. an ancestor, yes. as a portrait on someone's mantle, as like someone who wrote a book, as and, someone who mm-hmm. provided a body of work that people after you will consume. Doesn't living forever sound horrible? I, I mean, know, like, it just right? sounds horrible. Sound horrible. Okay, so I want to talk about this and then I want to transition into Madeline Miller. So, but what I wanted to say first though was that like it was, it was like the being surrounded by death, it, it didn't, it, it really didn't unmoor me from life. It made me want to hold on to it all yeah, that more, yeah, much yeah. more. And I think too, in, um, in Circe by Madeline Miller, she talks about, so Circe's like this um, uh, immortal demigod, which, and it's she kind of she lives for centuries without developing strong attachments to anything and she's like literally trying to get away from all of the other immortal being like she's she's marooned on this island and is like forced to stay there and she's not around any other immortals for the most part and it isn't and like she um meets somebody i think it was like odysseus's son or something like that and renounces her immortality and that's when she starts to live ah uh, you know yeah. mm-hmm. and then also madeline motherfucking miller with song of achilles the the I, one of the one of the um magic tricks of that book was the fact that if you're at all familiar with the myth of Achilles, you know Patroclus dies. Right. And for mm-hmm. that to be the right. main character, it's sort of like you're reading this whole thing knowing how it's going to end and it's still fucking affecting. Yeah. I sobbed and finally Theta yeah. says let him like let them like be buried together or whatever. But like I that the relationship that those books have to mortality and to life and and vibrance mm. and all whatever, like I think it's those are tomes. And same with Anne Carson, right? The autobiography of Red, the whole premise is Heracles dies at the end. And so sort of the fact of his death doesn't take anything away from how you propel through the story and the mm-hmm. emotional attachments that he makes. In, in fact, precisely to the person who's going to kill him mm-hmm. is yeah. like hashtag metaphor for gay dating. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point of it, right? I think a lot about like, I don't know anymore. Uh, I'm pretty sure when we die, we just die. Like we just are not a thing anymore. Um, but I know that the end death is the end of our body and like what you were saying Fran I think um, bodily pleasures is it, it, that the fact of death the fact of the end of my body helps me destigmatize having pleasure in my mm. body having gay yeah. sex mm. having very queer mm. pleasure mm. really enjoying fucking mm. and how good it feels mm. you know because yeah. uh, that and is on the regs oh yeah, just on listen. just like ooh, my man be inside him and just make him <laughs> okay, feel good you know what's so funny just to like quick, quickly interject is that I was listening to the strange magic podcast which if you don't listen to it and you're a witch you have to it's really good but one of the things that they were talking about with the death card episode of their yeah. podcast was this idea of le petit mois le petit mois. This, the tiny death oui, which oui. is <laughs> a, 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 a euphemism for an orgasm every, yeah, yeah. Every and how and yeah every orgasm is a tiny death <laughs> and when you think about sex and pleasure and orgasm the moment of climax and then Ooh. your semen going to go die in someone's butthole uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's just something your very semen is so confused you're semen where am I you're like, mom <laughs> what am I doing on this person's stomach oh <laughs> my god you posted yeah. that meme like, oh my god I know we posted this meme of uh, that got taken down of Greta Thunberg talking about and I shouldn't have to be here yeah. and it's her as a sperm in the butthole in wait we posted that we yeah. posted it oh my god it got very high engagement and then someone got mad and I was like wow. well you're right all of this is <laughs> wrong <laughs> I well, I mean, there's that. there's um the you know the 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 
uh, the, one of the books that's the birth of queer theory is The Rectum is a Grave um, with, the, yeah. with the notion, the not grave. a book, it's an essay. Uh, the notion of the essay being if we fuck in the butt, that fucking can't lead to new life, mm-hmm. right? And actually, the fact that we aren't going to make biological babies most queer people because of how we have sex means that we have to live in the here and now in a way differently than straight people do so like the fact of our death as queer people actually invites us into a new mode of living Mm. i'm feeling full but like i could fit one more thing inside of me dennis knows how i yes i do yes i do this week, our dessert is plants. Now, let me tell you something. Love plants. Let me tell you something. This is the first time in my life that I am responsible for another life. Wow. Because wow. when my roommate Roy left, he left all of the plants in the apartment. And I regularly get texts from him that are like, how are my plants, bitch? <laughs> uh, he still has to text me every now and then to be like, uh, don't forget to water them. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but they're still alive. Wow. I've never been able to keep plants alive before. Growth. 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 Absolutely. Uh, this is Joe. I My plant in my office got aphids. Even my plants get STIs. You guys. <laughs> oh, so my God. I'm still battling. I looked, I looked on the internet so and I was like, what do I do when my plant gets... It's not even aphids. It's something related to it. And literally the internet was like, throw it away. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm fighting for well, little we Mackenzie. S- right, what we were saying Little Mackenzie? I named her Mackenzie. We're more alike than we thought because my dog was named Mackenzie. Oh my God. Yeah, by hope, the way. Is it dead now, Dennis? She, she's dead. Okay. Yeah, right. she died. She died right after a couple years ago. Um, I don't have much of a relationship with plants because I just kind of feel like if the only thing you can keep alive is a plant, like, no, like, not ready. But I do but, really wait, like... Wait, can you keep a plant alive, Dennis? I, I for sure cannot. <laughs> oh, my God. For sure. I, I did. So the last time I kept a plant alive was in college. I did keep a plant wait, alive. So, Dennis, you're judging people for being able to keep only plants alive, and you can't even keep plants no, alive. No, no, no. I did keep a plant alive. I just haven't it was done it more than... No, no, no. I, I haven't owned another plant. I'm just not a plant person. It was person. a plastic plant. Um, so, no, it was... <laughs> It was it was a real plant of I don't Oh no, you know what? I kept an orchid alive in grad school. I kept an orchid alive for a year. That's... Are you done? <laughs> anyway, I like orchids and I like succulents. Love that. Love contribution. I love succulents. Um I uh one time read an article about plants and then I went to the very expensive Brooklyn plant store and uh-huh, I uh-huh, uh-huh. I walked in and they were like you can get a a $25 delivery for anything like free $25 delivery for an order of any size. So I was like, I'm going to get a ton of plants oh, wow. and capitalize on that $25 delivery. Yeah. That's amazing. And then I, you know, spent an hour and a half in this plant wow. store and then went up to the cash register and they were like, that'll be $450. <laughs> I know. Plants they're expensive. expensive. And girl, I had just gotten a new job and I bought those fucking plants <laughs> and guess what? Killed them all. None of them are alive today. <laughs> a week later, it was just corpses. Plants, plants will keep you they great lasted, company. Like, a lot of them lasted a year. Some of them only lasted like a few weeks. I do, um, I do feel bad when my plants die. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I not keeping them alive, I feel like a bad parent. I sort of get attached to them. Oh, it's hard when you travel i sometimes yeah. forget to ask my roommate to water i mean it's nice to be having it's nice to have living things around it, I just, there's it, like I, a ton of su- yeah. I, I, mine are like mostly succulents so they're not that hard yeah, to yeah, keep yeah. on that just more you know, more things to like vouch for the planet and earth but yeah. the article that i did read is an amazing extremely long but like worth it expose on a national geographic called this is your brain on nature mm-hmm. which is an extensive study kind of like finding out what are the literal like chemical like benefits to our 
brains and our cognizance when we are surrounded by like plants in nature. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, fudging this a little bit, but like one of the studies that they did was they took, you know, people, two different groups of like families that lived in two different neighborhoods. And one neighborhood had like tons of plants, foliage, trees, whatever yep. in it. And the other neighborhood was right next door was like, you know, a little more barren, a little few, fewer trees, warehouses, whatever. And they studied these two groups and like their happiness levels over the course of like mm-hmm. a few months. And after the course of a few months, they like looked at their brains and they were like, they discovered that the family and the people that lived in the plant filled area were overwhelmingly happier on a day to day basis just because they have had plants like mm-hmm. during their commute. Like they, I think there, there's a line in here that's like the happiness levels that these people experienced was equivalent to getting like a, a $30,000 raise or oh, something wow. like that. It wow. Was like an insane amount of happiness. Huh. Listen, there's a frond in my living room. And I swear yeah. to God, every time I open my bedroom door in the morning, I just smile. Yeah. It's and this true. is somebody who wrote a book called Nature Poem Against Nature. Love it. But like the, the, all the green in my living room just ups my quality of oh, life. Yeah. Do you ever walk into my best friend Whitney has a good friend whose plants, who has one of those homes that is literally just plants everywhere? Love I mean, it. like, you know, you're, they're hitting you in the face when you're walking past it's it feels like you're in a fucking garden mm. and whenever i go into that home i just immediately feel at home myself even though it's not my home you know it's just such a Ooh. vibrant living and welcoming space i love when people have uh plants and and greenness in in and around their apartment it just yeah. is, it's welcoming like the the, 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 the penises of the oh, of nature. Oh my. You, know, you can't say happiness without Ooh. penis. <laughs> well, between all the bugs and all my plant allergies, this is a no from me, dog. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Mm-mm. I will be a hot, flummy mess in your plant-filled apartment. <laughs> there we go. That's true. <laughs> Love ending on phlegm. <laughs> Great. This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our new home at iHeartRadio. Our producer puts the thick in thicket, Alexander <laughs> Oh my God! Our production manager is the evergreen Elizabeth D. Our social media manager is the succulent of our hearts, Christina Tucker. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or... Shit, I didn't write a thing. Uh, there's just an exclamation point. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes! Exclamation point. I'm Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me H E Y T E B S on all relevant social media. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. I'm Dennis Norris the second. You can find me on Twitter at the Earl Denden. T H E E A R L D E N D E N. I'm Fran. I never say my last name on this podcast because true. I am a mononym. I am, I am like Beyonce. Say. It's actually you're Are just ashamed you? of us. Yeah, that's <laughs> you, really you don't it. want your brand like, associated. You <laughs> find me. Uh, you can find me at friend squish co. Please stop adding me on CoStar. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot have my astrological makeup out in the open. It's just in the streets like that, and the amount reading that people can mm-hmm. do to you have to yeah, do yeah, with yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, where each week we pin some questions at the top of our page to continue the discussion of this week's main topic. <laughs> Sign up for our newsletter to see a list of everything we're reading and some extra delectable content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com, and finally send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics to thoughts it's- at food 
foodforthoughtpodcast.com as always. That's food, the number four, and thoughts about how? T-H-O-T. Oh, okay, see you next If week. you don't subscribe on iTunes, we'll make Tommy wear sleeves. Oh, oh. you're going to hate that. Ouch. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.